One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the History of Russia. As usual, I'm Damon and this is episode 12, The Triumvirate. Thanks for listening in. Last week we looked at the short reign of Sviatopolk the Accursed, which took place between 1015 and 1019, and the long reign of Yaroslav the Wise, which lasted a healthy 35 years, from 1019 to 1054, although he did get some unwanted help between 1024 and 1036 from his brother Mustislav. And in retrospect, it appears that Yaroslav's time in charge can be seen as the high watermark of the Kievan Rus state, taking in legal reforms, territorial expansion, diplomatically advantageous marriages for his daughters, the neutering of the Pechenegs, and a properly documented and agreed succession. But let's just put these so-called golden years into perspective. Only a very few of the Rus, probably only those in the top 5% of Kievan society, would have enjoyed the benefits. Yeah, there was probably some trickle-down of largesse, but for the vast majority of people, life would have gone on in much the same way as it always had. This week, in a slightly shorter than normal episode, we'll be taking a look at the 40-year period that came after the death of Yaroslav, from 1054 until 1093, which saw several changes of regime, the beginnings of Kievan fragmentation due to something called the Appenage system, and the appearance of a new troublesome people from the east, called the Cumans, or the Polovtsians, aka the Polovtsi. But I'll stick with the Cumans for obvious reasons. Okay, let's make a start. So Vladimir's agreed succession put in place what is known as a triumvirate, which essentially is a Roman Latin term for the rule of three equals. Now arrangements such as these had been seen in biblical times, the Han Dynasty in China, and in the ancient Tamil Kingdom in India, but the most famous or notable examples were the two Roman triumvirates. The first of these was an informal alliance among three prominent politicians in the late Roman Republic, Gaius Julius Caesar, Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus or Pompey the Great, and Marcus Licinius Crassus, 
known as the richest man in Rome. And it sort of worked for an eight-year period between 60 and 53 BC, and then all hell broke loose. The second triumvirate, which lasted from 43 to 32 BC, was a legalised political alliance formed after Julius Caesar's assassination between Octavian, the future Emperor Augustus, Marcus Antonius, or Mark Antony as we know him, and Marcus Aemilius Lepidus. And to be honest, it was surprising that it lasted that long because Octavian and Antony hated each other's guts and Lepidus was a bit of a lightweight non-entity who Octavian treated pretty much as his subordinate. So perhaps this type of governance model isn't looking all that promising. And to add to that, the Kievan-flavoured triumvirate will feature one senior prince, Isaiah Slav, and two slightly less senior princes, his younger brothers Sviatoslav and Vesevolod. So why was this the case? Well, it's more to do with age more than anything else, Isaiah being the eldest living son at the time of Yaroslav's death. And probably it was an attempt by Vladimir to introduce some checks and balances into the system that would have voided the internecine squabbling that had occurred at the end of Sviatoslav I's and Vladimir I's reigns. So this all looks good on paper, but let's take a peek ahead and see what actually transpired at a high, high level. Well, things started well, and Isaiaslav was in power as a senior prince in Kiev between 1054 and 1068. In 1068, there was a short interregnum because someone called Vysoslav of Polotsk, who was a great-grandson of Vladimir, took over with the help of the citizens of Kiev. Isaiaslav was then back in charge between 1069 and 1073, but then he was ousted by his brothers, and Sviatoslav II took charge until he died in 1076. Vesevolod then took over and lasted six months before Isaiaslav was back in the big chair for one last time, for a few months, in 1077-78. And then it's back to Vesevolod, <laughs> I knew I'd have trouble with that, who mans the fort until he dies in 1093. There, that's what we've got to look forward to. But viewed through the prism of English understatement, I suppose it could have been worse. So let's look at all of that in a bit more detail, and we'll start with the first 12-year chunk from 1054 to 1068. Isaiaslav, Yaroslav's second son, is based in Kiev. Third son, Sviatoslav, is located in Chernigov, and son number four, Vsevolod, is in Periaslav which are both to the east of the Kiev, over on the other side of the Dnieper. And I'll stick a map up on the website so that you can see where all these places are in relation to one another. Oh, and just to keep things tidy, son number one, Vladimir, had died before his father, and sons five and six, Igor and Vyacheslav, are out of the triumvirate loop. So Isaiaslav initially keeps himself busy, refining the Pravda, or the Law Code, something he seems to have taken seriously as he had helped his father draft the original. And he's also involved in the foundation of the Kiev Pechersk Monastery. And according to the Primary Chronicle, in the early 11th century, Antony, a Greek Orthodox monk from Mount Athos in Greece, but originally from Lyubek in the Principality of Chernigov, returned to the Ruslands and settled in Kiev as a monastery with the support of Isaiaslav, 
at a cave on the Berestov Mount overlooking the Dnieper River, and a community of disciples soon grew. Domestically, Isaiaslav is already married to the King of Poland's daughter, Gertrude, and they have three sons, the unimaginatively, and for us confusingly named, Yarapolk, Mustislav, and Sviatopolk. Meanwhile, over on the other side of the river, the junior triumvirs, Sviatoslav and Vesevolod, are similarly occupied living lives of domestic bliss. Sviatoslav has a brood of six kids, and by 1065 is on his second marriage, and it's ditto for Vesevolod, whose first wife was the daughter of the Byzantine emperor Constantine IX Monomarchos, and Monomarchos means he who fights alone. The chronicle goes on to tell us that in 1059, the brothers have their uncle Sudislav released from his 24-year prison sentence, even though they waited five years to do this. And then in the early 1060s, we hear of various campaigns against the Turkish tribes who had moved into the old Pechenig stomping grounds. See, I knew I'd mention them again. But we're told that these Turks, or Torks as they're sometimes called, always manage to slip away and disappear whenever the Rus forces are in the vicinity. So we're eight or so years into the rule of the three and everything seems to be going swimmingly and maybe, just maybe, triumvirates are the way to go. Trouble started brewing in 1065 though and the indirect cause of this trouble is something I mentioned a few minutes ago, the Appenage system. Simply put, the Appenage system, from the Latin to give bread, was the way that a king or a prince rewarded younger sons who were not destined to take over the kingdom or princedom with grants of land. And so in the Ruslands, we're steadily starting to see various bits of territory that are becoming localised centres of alternative power, effectively outside of the control of the current ruling family. Let's look at an example. One of Vladimir the Great's sons was named Isaiaslav, and he was given the town and region of Polotsk as an appanage. This Isaiaslav Vladimirovich and note here the use of the patronymic, or father's name, which has started to creep into the sources, and is used to distinguish different people with the same first name, had a son called Bryatislav, and he had a son called Vesislav, who in turn both inherited the Polotsk sub-princedom. Multiply this by several factors, and you can see what kind of a mess this has become, with various bits of the Ruslands being run by cousins, and uncles of the current ruler. Here we go, this is a mouthful. Vesislav Bryatislavich now became the direct cause of the troubles in 1065. Holding some kind of grudge for not being part of the ruling coalition, he laid siege to Peskov, and whilst he was thrown back, in the winter of 1066 to 1067, he pillaged and burnt Novgorod removing the bell and other religious objects from the Cathedral of Holy Wisdom and bringing them back to decorate his own cathedral of the same name in Polotsk. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Peskov was one thing, but an attack on Novgorod was a far more serious affair, as it threatened to cut off the triumvirate in Kiev, Pereyaslav and Chernigov from their Scandinavian and Baltic trading routes. And so the Yaroslavichi, which effectively means the sons of Vladimir, combined their forces and marched north, sacking Minsk, which was then under the control of Polotsk, and then on March the 3rd, 1067, they defeated Vsislav at a battle near the Namega River. Vsislav fled, but was persuaded by Azayaslav, who swore an oath that no harm would come to him, to attend peace talks a couple of months later down in Kiev. And of course, the minute he turned up, he was taken by force and thrown into prison. Then in 1068, the Cumans, a nomadic Turkic people whose name in both Slavic and Turkic meant pale yellow or blonde, and, had who, and who had been sniping around the edges of the Rus land since the late 1050s, but had been kept in check up to now by the junior Tramvir Vesevalod invaded Kievan Rus with a large force. So the brothers once again united their forces, this time against the invaders, but the Cumans routed them in a battle on the Alta River near Pereyaslav, and after their defeat, all three brothers withdrew to their own lands and lay low. But in Kiev, the citizens rose up in open rebellion, kicked out Isaiaslav, liberated Vsislav and made him their grand prince. And it's here that the triumvirate begins to creak, because neither Vsevolod or Sviatoslav made any attempt to help their older brother. But hang on a minute, why did the Kievans turn against Isaiaslav? Well, the chronicle tells us it was due to the fact that the Cumans were still raiding in the area, and that when the citizens of Kiev implored Isaiaslav to raise another army to send the raiders packing, he refused. And so they took direct action. So let's move on to our second chunk of time, which will take us from 1069 to 1078. And after nine months, uh, nine months after the rebellion in Kiev, Isaiaslav is back in Rus territory at the head of a Polish army. So the townspeople of Kiev sent messages to Sviatoslav and Vesevolod, imploring them to come to their father's city and defend it. And according to the Primary Chronicle, Sviatoslav and Vesevolod requested Isaiaslav not to lead the Poles in an attack upon Kiev, stating that if he intended to assuage his wrath and destroy the city, they would be properly concerned for the ancestral capital. Now, Isaiaslav paid attention to these subtle words of warning and didn't let his Polish allies enter the town. However, his own retinue slaughtered or mutilated many of his Kievan opponents. But one man they couldn't catch up with was Vysoslav, as during the mayhem he managed to escape and get back to Polotsk and safety, where he kept his head down 
and lived in relative peace and obscurity until his death in 1101. So with Isaiah's lives returned to Kiev, the triumvirate was restored, and in 1072, as a sign of unity, the three brothers visited Vishkorod and participated in a ceremony that conferred sainthood upon, sainthood upon their uncles Boris and Gleb. And then they even found time to work together on further enhancements to their father's legal code, and so it would appear that the whole Kievan uprising, Vysoslav, Polish army thing had been forgotten, and that the rule of three was set to continue for many years. But life just isn't like that, and according to the Primary Chronicle, in 1073, the devil stirred up strife among the three brothers, shortly after the canonization of Saints Boris and Gleb. And this time it was Fiatoslav and Vesevolod who united their forces and expelled Isaiaslav from Kiev on the 22nd of March. And the chronicler puts the blame for this action squarely on Sviatoslav, stating that he was the instigator of his brother's expulsion because he desired more power. And the chronicle also states that Sviatoslav had misled Vesevolod by, asser by asserting that Isaiaslav was entering into an alliance with Vesevolod. Modern historians disagree about his motives, though, on the one hand stating that he was driven by straightforward greed, and on the other stating that Sviatoslav, who seemed to have been suffering from a grave illness, wanted to secure his son's right to the leadership of the Rus, which would have been lost if Sviatoslav had predeceased Isaiaslav without having ruled himself. Anyway, whatever his motives, he got his wish. However, his rule proved to be short just over three years, and pretty much uneventful. His dethroned brother Isaiaslav first fled to Poland, but Duke Bolesław II, who was Fiatoslav's son-in-law, expelled him from his lands. And then Isaiaslav goes on a wander around various European states looking for assistance to get his princedom back. But to be honest, he needn't have bothered, as at the end of 1076, Sviatoslav II died, and so the triumvirate, if it ever genuinely existed, is finally dead and buried. Vesevolod took over in Kiev, but this was just a holding pattern, because within a year, Isaiaslav was back. And his first move was to give Sviatoslav's power base in Chernigov to Vesevolod, almost as a kind of, thanks for keeping things going, but we know who's big brother, and I'll take over from here. But as should have been expected, this completely alienated Sviatoslav's sons, and one of them, Oleg, in alliance with the Kumans, invaded Chernigov. Now Vesevolod tried his best to hold the invaders at bay from his newly acquired territory, but he was outnumbered, and things started to look increasingly grim until, just in the nick of time, Isaiaslav and his forces came to his brother's rescue and forced Oleg to retreat. So the battle had been won, but at the end of the day, literally, not figuratively, it was discovered that Isaiaslav had fallen in battle, leaving Vesevolod very much on his own. So after Isaiaslav's death, we come to our last chunk of time, 1078 to 1093. And Vesevolod took the Kievan throne, uniting again the three core principalities of Kiev, Chernigov and Pereyaslav. And he appointed his eldest son, 
Vladimir Monomarch, and there's that surname again, or a variation of it, to administer Chernikov. But he was unable to turn this legacy into anything resembling a success, or even just keep the wheels turning. And during the next 15 years, he seems to be at best unlucky, and at worst just plain inept. The Primary Chronicle writes that the people no longer had access to the Prince's justice. Judges became corrupt and venal, and Vesevolod followed his younger counsellor's advice instead of that of his old seasoned retainers. And as a warrior, he just really wasn't up to it. I mean, those battles that he fought in person against the Cumans, he lost. And as for the others, he delegated responsibility to Vladimir. And the last years of his reign were clouded by a grave illness, much like his brother's uh, earlier on. And again, it was up to Vladimir Monomarch to steer the ship of state. So was the triumvirate a success? Well, certainly for the first dozen years, up to the uprising in Kiev, I think it went as well as could be expected, even if it really wasn't a rule by three equals. Each of the three brothers knew their place and seemingly tried to uphold their father's succession planning. But after that, jealousies came to the fore, and it was every man for himself. Well, certainly for Azarslav and Sviatoslav it was. I'm not sure that Vesevolod was ever really up to the mark. Okay, we'll leave it there for this week. Join me next time when we'll look at what happened in Kiev as we head towards the 12th century. Was the second half of the triumvirate just a blip, or do the descendants of the Yaroslavici oversee more of the same? And the clue will be in the episode's title. Okay, as usual, just before I go, if you want to get in touch with a comment or question, then it's via the website, historyofrussia.podbean.com, via Twitter, at HistoryRussia1, or via email, NordicWorld at Outlook.com. Until next time then, stay safe, look after yourself, and I'll see you all soon. It's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.